Africa rise and shine Africa zola Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Onelen Sinzi, Tabiso Luhoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, U.S. President Donald Trump appears before the media late on Thursday as his grip on the White House appears to slowly slip away, presenting a litany of grievances. Recent reports indicate that the respiratory syncytial virus, an illness affecting the respiratory tract and oftentimes more severe for children than adults, is on the rise across the globe. In economics news, Namibia state-owned Namibia Desert Diamonds publicly calls for new buyers of their precious stones to be part of their clientele for 2021 to 2023. And in sports news, South African rugby is building a castle around incoming Lions Tour. But first up, the news with Onilenzinzi. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Lulu. Tanzanian President John Magufuli has been inaugurated in the Tanzanian capital Dodoma for a second five-year term after a landslide election victory dismissed by the political opposition as a sham. This is amid their calls for a fresh election as well as the disbandment of the Electoral Commission over the October 28 vote, which they claim was riddled with irregularities. Police and army security were tight ahead of the swearing-in in light of the still tense and volatile political climate. Meanwhile, leaders of Tanzania's two main opposition parties, ACT, Wazalendo and Chadema, who refused to recognize Magufuli's win, have been charged with organizing an unlawful assembly. Ethiopian lawmakers have endorsed a six-month state of emergency in Tigray after Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed ordered a military response to an attack on federal troops by the Tigray People's Liberation Front ruling party. The move is to assert federal control over a region whose ruling party has for months openly defied Abiy, who is a 2019 Nobel Peace Prize winner and has been branded as politically illegitimate by certain groups in the Tigray region. The Ethiopian Human Rights Commission, the national rights body, highlighted the need to maintain key services and supplies to civilians in Tigray, regardless of political tensions between certain groups and the rest of their country. Malawi will open a full embassy to Israel and Jerusalem, becoming the first African nation in decades to do so in the contested city. In a video statement during a visit to Israel, Malawi Foreign Minister Asaim Mkaka called the decision a bold and significant step. Several African countries had previously opened embassies to Israel in Jerusalem, but closed them following the 1973 Middle East War. 
U.S. President Donald Trump says the justice system will ultimately determine the outcome of the election, promising to go the legal route over unsubstantiated claims of fraud across multiple states. Trump is trailing Democratic Party contender Joe Biden, who says he has no doubt that he would defeat Republican Trump. Trump appeared before the media accusing the Democrats of trying to still and rig the election. We think there's going to be a lot of litigation because we have so much evidence, so much proof, and it's going to end up perhaps at the highest court in the land. We'll see. But we think there'll be a lot of litigation because we can't have an election stolen like this. So it will be hopefully cleared up, maybe soon, I hope soon, but it'll probably go through a process, a legal process. But ultimately, I have a feeling judges are going to have to rule. But there's been a lot of shenanigans, and we can't uh, stand for that in our country. And lastly, Guatemalan officials say at least 50 people have died in landslides caused by tropical depression ETA. Over 70 people are known to have died in total due to the destruction caused by the hurricane as it unleashed torrential rains and catastrophic flooding on Central America. The BBC's Rory Galamore. More than 20 homes around San Cristobal, Verapaz, are now beneath thick mud, buried after part of a hillside collapsed. Rescue workers can't reach the town. Roads nearby have been submerged by flooding. The rain has been torrential. Guatemala's president, Alejandro Yamate, said more than a month's worth had fallen in less than a day. Ata has weakened since making landfall as a hurricane in Nicaragua on Tuesday but it's continued to cause destruction across Central America. The storm is expected to gather strength once more this weekend before possibly heading towards Cuba and Florida. Channel African News, I am Onelin Zinzi. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Onele. 706 Central African Town, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. U.S. President Donald Trump appeared before the media late on Thursday as his grip on the White House appeared to slowly slip away, presenting a litany of grievances while he accused Democrats of trying to steal and rig the election. He promised a lot of litigation over unsubstantiated claims of fraud across multiple states, with Joe Biden's ascendancy appearing increasingly assured as ballot returns show him closing the gap in key swing states while leading in others that are critical to Trump's claim of to a second term. Show in Bryce Peace reports. The world's attention was cast to the ballot counts in the key states of Georgia, North Carolina, Pennsylvania and Nevada that remain too close to call. The state of Arizona is also still in play despite some U.S. news media projecting that Biden would claim the Republican stronghold for the first time as a Democrat since 1996. But it was the president who appeared late Thursday after being holed up in the White House, making ill-founded claims of fraud as his grip on the presidency looks increasingly tenuous. If you count the legal votes, I easily win. If you count the illegal votes, they can try to steal the election from us. Uh, Our goal is to defend the integrity of the election. We'll not allow the corruption to steal such an important election or any election for that matter. 
and uh, we can't allow silence anybody to silence our voters and manufacture results. He indicated that given the various streams of litigation his campaign was pursuing across the country, that ultimately judges would have to determine the outcome of the election. We think there's going to be a lot of litigation because we have so much evidence, so much proof, and it's going to end up perhaps at the highest court in the land. We'll see. But we think there'll be a lot of litigation because we can't have an election stolen like, like this. And I, I tell you, I, was, I have been talking about this for many months. It's not a question of who wins, Republican, Democrat, Joe, myself. We can't let that happen to our country. We can't be disgraced by having something like this happen. So it will be hopefully cleared up, maybe soon, I hope soon, but it'll probably go through a process, a legal process. But ultimately, I have a feeling judges are going to have to rule. But there's been a lot of shenanigans, and we can't uh, stand for that in our country. Democratic nominee Joe Biden earlier expressed a sense of calm as he held a comfortable lead within reach of the 270 electoral college votes or delegates required to win the presidency. In America, the vote is sacred. It's how people of this nation express their will. And it is the will of the voters, no one, not anything else, that chooses the president of the United States of America. So. Each ballot must be counted, and that's what we're going to see going through now, and that's how it should be. Democracy is sometimes messy. It sometimes requires a little patience as well, but that patience has been rewarded now for more than 240 years with a system of governance that's been the envy of the world. Biden called for all the votes to be counted as he sought to portray himself as unruffled while the president appeared increasingly untethered. We continue to feel, Senator and I, we continue to feel very good about where things stand. We have no doubt that when the count is finished, Senator Harris and I will be declared the winners. So I ask everyone to stay calm, all the people to stay calm. The process is working. The count is being completed. And uh, we'll know very soon. So thank you all for your patience. But we have to count the votes. As the president's campaign pressed ahead with lawsuits, Biden's trajectory towards victory appeared increasingly assured, a detail not lost on the incumbent who sought to undermine that narrative with claims that hinged on fabrication and fantasy. As poll workers diligently continued their counting under the scrutiny of a country on edge, Mr. Trump's baseless claims will leave many uncomfortable questioning the integrity of an American election in a statement littered with falsehoods, reminiscent of election outcomes in other places, but not here, until, of course, right now. I'm Sherman Bryce-Pease in New York. Cameroon English-speaking teachers, parents and students say schools that reopened last October after four years of closure are again being abandoned as fighting, killings and abductions intensify. Within three weeks, at least six teachers and seven children have been killed, 23 instructors abducted, 15 teachers stripped naked and three schools torched. Muki Kinzaga reports from Yawunde that in spite of government assurances, civilians are doubting the military's ability to protect all schools. (laughs) 
A video shared on social media platforms by separatists shows teachers and students of Kulu Memorial College in Cameroon's southwestern town of Limbe crying for help. In the video, at least 15 teachers are stripped naked and asked to leave the school. In the video, seven gunmen tell learners and instructors to keep schools closed as instructed by separatists fighting to create an independent state in Cameroon. The Cameroon government confirmed that the school was attacked on November 4 and blamed separatist fighters. No one has claimed responsibility. Leslie Tabot, a 39-year-old teacher in Limbe, says the attack is one too many in recent weeks. He says he will no longer teach until government fulfills its promise of protecting schools from fighters. Insecurity has been the order of the day. Why only schools? The government assured parents and stakeholders of education that this time around maximum security has been put in place to ensure the smooth functioning of schools in the Northwest and the Southwest region. But what do we get every day? What do we really get every day? Students being attacked left and right, teachers also victims. Where are we heading to? We were expecting the government, as they promised, to take their duty very, very efficient. Now, if they want to tell us that this is above them, let them let us know. I can't send my child to school just because of fear of attacks. The government has to step in ball games. All what the government could do that I see by the roadside, we have checkpoints, checkpoint, checkpoint. Where are those military by the school? It is really, really sad. We expect more from the government because as of now, I talking as a parent, my child has to stay at home. I don't have an option. A living child is better than an intelligent dead child. Cameroon announced that fighters had been chased from at least 140 schools in the English-speaking northwest and southwest regions. The ministries of basic and second education on October 5, when the 2020-2021 school year started, said 300,000 children had returned to educational establishments for the first time in four years. By October 15, the government said the number had increased to a million students in schools. Some separatist groups on social media ordered the schools to be closed until the central government in Yaoundé withdraws its military from what they call their territory. Within three weeks, the military reported that at least six teachers and seven children have been killed, 23 instructors abducted, 15 teachers stripped naked, and three schools Touched. Deben Chofor, governor of Cameroon's English-speaking Northwest region, says the government has deployed more troops to protect civilians. Chofor says the military needs the collaboration of civilians to keep schools safe. It is not possible security men to be behind every student. We are asking them to continue going to classes because after the sad incidents, a special security device has been set up by the generals in charge of security at the level of the headquarters of the region and in the other divisions to accompany the students. Chofor said about 20 schools have again been closed and several thousand students and teachers are scared of going to school. Peter Ndikum, president of the Cameroon Union of Parents and Teachers, says fighters should respect the rights of children to education. 
He says parents, teachers and students should brave the attacks. Ndikum says the separatists are attacking schools because their firepower has been reduced by the military. The school system is under attack. We want to encourage our kids. Despite their ages, they have a responsibility to write their own history. They are living within a period of consternation within the Anglophone subsystem. The only way for them to make history is not to abandon the classroom. The first element is that of courage. To the parents, they should be able to realize that this call for independence is a sterile struggle. Violence erupted in Cameroon in 2016 when English-speaking teachers and lawyers took to the streets to denounce the overbearing influence of the French language in the bilingual country. The military responded with a crackdown and separatists took weapons claiming that they were defending English-speaking civilians. More than 3,000 lives have been lost and 530,000 civilians displaced, according to the United Nations. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzaka in Yaoundé, Cameroon. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Coltrane Joy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzaka. In Yawundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa. I am an African. I owe my being to the hills and the valleys, the mountains and the glades, the rivers, the deserts, the trees flowers, the seas, and the ever-changing seasons that define the face of our native land. Masterclass Africa, where great minds connect. An explorative one-on-one -on -one talk show that seeks to tackle issues of leadership and consciousness on the African continent and around the world. Masterclass comes to you every Fridays, 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock Central African time. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. It's 7.19 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Recent reports indicate that the respiratory syncytial virus, an illness affecting the respiratory tract and oftentimes more severe for children than adults, is on the rise across the globe. As more children return to the classroom following the opening of schools and play schools in South Africa, there is an increased risk that children may be exposed to the virus. Unfortunately, most viral respiratory illnesses develop and look very similar, which is why oftentimes parents confuse the symptoms of RSV 
for other respiratory illnesses like a common cold and think that it will go away, not realizing that this is dangerous. This is according to Dr. Iqbal Kabani, a pediatrician in the country who earlier joined us on the line. RSV is not a new virus. You know, people are much more aware of viruses now because of coronavirus, etc. RSV has been around for many, many, many years. And it's one of those viruses that is like the common cold, like the influenza virus, that targets the, the respiratory system, which is basically from the nose, throat, sinuses, and then the chest itself. And unfortunately, in, in the world, and especially in South Africa and in Africa generally, younger children are the ones that are the major target for such a virus because the immune systems are not weak but inexperienced, which is a big difference. So an inexperienced immune system cannot handle a virus such as this very well, and therefore the younger the child, the more vulnerable the child and the more severe the complications that can occur from the RSV virus. Is this now why parents need to um, understand the impact of respiratory illnesses in children? Yes, absolutely. You see, one of the biggest problems that parents have is deciding when that problem is severe enough to seek medical attention and when that decision is made, what level of care. So it's always a difficult one because in every country in the world, whether it's the United States or UK or wherever you are, there's always a scarcity of health resources because health resources are one of those uh, sort of facilities where it's difficult to access for a variety of reasons, whether it's cost, whether it's, it's physical access, whether it's distance. And therefore, parents need to know. You know, they may be sitting at work. They may be having a problem. Your child is sick. Do they leave work? Do they take a day off and then go home? Or what do they do? So it's difficult to make the right decision. So one of the the key cornerstones of advice that parents should know is that when a respiratory illness occurs, they need to look at the child's general health and look at, for example, is the child looking sick or is the child looking well? Does the child have a fever? How fast is the child breathing? Those kind of things can then help us decide whether the child is sick enough to seek medical attention urgently or not. Now, let's speak about the differences between um, RSV, allergies, and the coronavirus, because mm-hmm. I, the lines are clearly very blurred. Yes, absolutely. No, you, you're absolutely right, especially this time of the year when there's a seasonal change. You know, mm. we're heading towards summer. There's been lots of rain recently, so there's lots of dust and pollen in the air. As a result, allergies have flared up as well. So allergies cause also respiratory symptoms. So you get a child who's sneezing and coughing. How do you know whether this child has got a respiratory illness or not? And as you mentioned in the introduction, most of these viruses, including the coronavirus, all start in the same way. So they start with general malaise. In other words, the child starts feeling a little bit under the weather. Appetite may be a little bit down. They don't want to sort of uh, partake in their normal physical activities. Then they get a runny nose, etc. Look, those kind of illnesses are still minor and can be handled quite safely by most parents. The problem then comes in when it starts affecting the lungs and the breathing. Because when the child starts breathing faster than normal, has difficulty breathing, cannot talk normally, cannot play normally because they're breathing fast, now we've got a problem. So... Uh, the WHO came out of the guideline many years ago, which they used for rural areas in deep sort of areas where there's no access to health care. And they found that one of the best predictors 
of ill health or severity of illness in a child is how fast the child is breathing. So if you have doubt and you're worried about your child, all you do is take the clothing off of the child, take the top off, and just sit back. Step back and look at the child. If your child is breathing like they've been running and they're breathing faster than normal, then it's time to take the child to the doctor. How can children be protected from contracting respiratory illnesses like RSV? RSV is one of those viruses that is spread through actual direct contact. In other words, not only droplets spread. Now, we know that, for example, coronavirus is spread through droplets, which is why everyone wears masks and uh, tries to reduce, put their hand in front of their mouth when they're coughing and sneezing their elbow, etc. But with RSV, it's actually spread through direct contact. So the best way to stop the spread of RSV is through hand washing and through decontamination of shared surfaces. That's the best way of step, stopping the spread of, of, the, of the virus. Saying that, however, the minor illnesses like the cold and flu viruses, which in the most majority of cases are minor, actually serve a purpose in children and in adults. What they do is when you become sick with one of those viruses, your body's immune system reacts and develops antibodies, in other words, resistance. When you develop resistance to that, your inexperienced immune system that a child has then starts learning on how to deal with these viruses, and that helps develop immunity. There is no sort of magic bullet that suddenly takes your immunity up to a level which is going to protect you. The best way of sort of making sure that the immune system works well is to ensure the child has good nutrition. And good nutrition includes vitamins and minerals. So a, a balanced diet is necessary. It's not necessary for a child to be on extremely high doses of multivitamins, etc. That only is necessary when a child comes from a sort of uh, environment which is malnourished or deprived. That's when there's extra attention and multivitamins required. But in a child who's got a general balanced diet, then that should be more than enough to support the immune system. That's Dr. Iqbal Kabani, Chief Executive Officer at Paid IQ Babyline, a 24-7 telephonic-based helpline for medical advice given by pediatric trained nurses. Workers at a Johannesburg manufacturing company are up in arms. They accuse management of squandering their COVID-19 UIF tears money and buying themselves fancy cars with it. It comes as unions and employers have been taken aback by South Africa's government's decision last week to cancel the COVID-19 UIF tears benefit scheme without warning. The tears scheme has become a crucial lifeline for millions of workers who've lost income since the beginning of the national lockdown early this year. Mbongeni Muta reports. Workers crying foul. They say their company, Frico Glass, which is based in Erotin, south of Johannesburg, was shut down in March as part of the national lockdown to curb the spread of the coronavirus. Now they accuse their bosses of cheating them. Frico Glass shop steward Elton Steele explains. When we came uh, back from lockdown, they only allowed us to come back in September because they put us on layoff. But when we came back, we came back finding management driving new cars of millions and stuff. As we speak now, we ask the managers, um, do they have audited books for this for, for the financial statement? They do not have. Mara, now they are saying they're taking the employees' bonuses away and they're driving new cars. 
We have not been paid all our UIF tariffs money, so we do not know what happened to that money. So as we are now, the employees will not be receiving money for bonuses and that they took the money for UIF tariffs because they're driving new cars and we don't have money at all. The workers say management denies ever applying for the UIF tariffs money on their behalf. While they don't have proof that it did, the workers are highly suspicious. Automatically, them driving cars of million rand and us not receiving our tariffs money and the books of the company not being in order, not even being audited, automatically it means that they have done something with the money. And all of them at the same time, it is impossible for all of them to buy new cars at the same time, of not less than one million per person. Management couldn't be reached for comment. Across town, EFF leader Julius Malema went to intervene at another company facing similar accusations by employees. After meeting with Malema, the CEO of Pharma Direct apologized and agreed to pay the workers their tariffs money. Malema explains. We really are happy that uh, we found each other and the workers are going to get their money. It is a very simple message. Anyone who took the money of the workers, you've got two options. Pay it to the workers or pay it back to the Department of Labor. It's as simple as that. No one is going to enrich himself using the money uh, of uh, the workers. Labor Federation Kosato says it is dealing with similar cases on a daily basis. Kosato spokesperson Sizu Pamla. Well, it is very widespread. It is a big problem. Uh, we continue to deal with cases on a daily basis. In fact, um, around 3.5 billion has been recovered. Uh, money that was taken by employers um, illegally. So it is a big problem. Meanwhile, organized business and labor have lambasted the government for its surprise decision to terminate the UIF Charest Benefit Scheme. The decision was taken by the National Coronavirus Command Council last week. Labor Federation Fetusa says it's a slap in the face for workers. And Kosato says efforts are underway to have the decision reversed. Well, there's consensus amongst uh, social partners, business, labor communities that this was bureaucratic bungling and political incompetence. So we have met with the minister yesterday, uh, the general secretaries of federations. They met with the minister. They made it very clear that uh, this is not acceptable. Yeah. And uh, the way forward now is that tomorrow, uh, UIF officials and uh, the members of the labor technical team uh, will meet to discuss the way forward. But uh, everyone uh, at NetLeg uh, agrees that this needs to be uh, 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 reversed. Even employers have voiced their concern. Business for South Africa has called the move ill-advised and irrational. I am Bongeni Mucho in Johannesburg. It's 7.30 Central African time and our headlines up next with Onel Nsinzi. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Angolan authorities have repatriated 640 Congolese nationals following a police crackdown on illegal migrants. Malawi will open a full embassy to Israel and Jerusalem, becoming the first African nation in decades to do so. And U.S. President Donald Trump's two sons have rebuked Republicans for failing to back the president as he struggles to win re-elections. Channel Africa News, I am Onelensinsi. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. 
Thank you, Onele. South Africa's Minister of Public Enterprises, Pravin Gordon, has told Parliament that a restructured SAA will not be dependent on the national fiscus as it will take the Talcom model. Gordon was taking part on the National Assembly's debate about the financial burden of sustaining non-profitable state-owned entities. Lula Mamatia reports. The debate was sponsored by the Democratic Alliance. Some of the opposition parties criticized the allocation of 10.5 billion rand to SAA during the medium-term budget policy statement. DA spokesperson on finance, Jordan Hill-Lewis, argued that while billions of rands have been spent in the past few years on bailouts and guarantees to keep these entities afloat, there's nothing to show. Together, these bailouts and guaranteed future bailouts have brought our country's finances to the point of ruin. We have paid for all of this with mountains of more debt. And what do we have to show for it? Transnet cannot run a railway network, and they sit by and watch as train tracks are being stolen right in front of their eyes. ESCOM cannot produce enough electricity. SAA cannot fly. Danel is insolvent and the land bank has defaulted. Every state-owned company is broken and bankrupt. Chairperson of the Public Enterprises Committee, Kaya Magata, defended the financial assistance given to the national carrier. Magata says this will benefit the airliner's employees who are facing a bleak future. It is important that in the period of economic reconstruction and recovery, those opportunities which develop our economy are not missed through theoretical exercises, which are not based on reality. The reality of the situation is that we have a number of workers that are sitting there, not knowing their future, whom they expect to go home without nothing, and we don't know when they are going to get employment. Therefore, if our government can ignore those realities, then we won't be an ANC government. We'll be perhaps a DA government who can abandon, who doesn't care about employment, who only care about accumulation of profit. EFF MP Sinawo Tambo said they are against privatization of state-owned entities. There is no evidence anywhere in the world to suggest that you can hand over public assets to the control and ownership of the few, and this will lead to the development of the community as a whole. It has never happened anywhere, and South Africa is just one case of many cases. The only thing capital and foreign capital in particular is loyal to is profits. Just because the ruling party lacked the necessary political will, a situation which was made worse by rampant looting, does not mean we should be deceived into supporting some misguided right-wing privatization agenda led by the finance minister and chaired by the racist of the DA. Well-managed and positioned state-owned companies will contribute to the fiscus and not depend on our taxes. The IFP's Mtokozi Sinumalo says those who are found guilty of misusing taxpayers' money must be personally held accountable. 
We need to start seeing heads rolling for misconduct and criminal offenses. Officials and other individuals must start paying personally from their illegal lined pockets for the dire state of our SOEs. The culture of protecting those who break the law with impunity must be dismantled. Otherwise, Honorable Chair, as I conclude, we'll dig ourselves a greater debt as far as this of three trillion rands we are already finding ourselves in. FF plus MP voter vessels also says the SAA allocation does not make sense. She, whilst people are tormented in South Africa by poor service delivery, by sewage running through their houses, by no electricity, by no water, we appropriate and this government appropriates money to a failed and bankrupt South African airways to benefit just a few. The ANC's point about employment does not make sense. Does it make sense to save a few thousand jobs and sacrifice millions in return? It does not. The Minister of Public Enterprises, Pravin Gordon, says the allocation is not a bailout, but for paying for retrenchments, voluntary severance packages, and to refund those who bought tickets but could not fly. So we are going to restructure SAA. There will be a new airline that emerges, which will not be dependent on the fiscus, and that will indeed follow the telecom model that we have all made reference to. SOEs in general, as I conclude, Chairperson, will be repurposed and redirected and reorganized in order to be an exemplary set of institutions. But this will take time. It will take hard work. We will have to undo the damage of state capture. That report by Lulama Matya. WHO recommends 30 minutes of physical activity a day for adults and one hour a day for children. If your local or national guidelines allow it, go outside for a walk, a run or a ride, and keep a safe distance from others. If you can't leave the house, find an exercise video online, dance to music, do some yoga, or walk up and down the stairs. Avoid touching your eyes, nose and mouth to slow the spread of the coronavirus. For more information on the coronavirus, visit the World Health Organization site at www.who.int. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. What we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy which can ensure full employment to our people. The government concurs with the views of the Black Economic Empowerment Council report that it is now necessary to make our policies on Black Economic Empowerment more explicit. Last May, I asked constituencies at NETLEC to discuss youth employment incentives. I'm pleased that discussions have been concluded and that agreement has been reached on key principles. We are on an ambitious drive to industrialize, to attract investment, and to create more jobs for the youth of our country. They don't have jobs. Thanks. 
tried looking for a job for it's a year and a half now. The challenges were experience and the, the level of education which I have. Channel Africa. At 7.39 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Residents say there has been an increase in tombstone theft at the Alexandra Cemetery north of Johannesburg, while some tombstones have been vandalized. Some residents have expressed anger as the gravesite plays part of the township's rich heritage, with some that took part in the liberation struggle happen to be buried. They say the cemetery has also been turned into a dump site. They have blamed residents of a nearby Stretla informal settlement for the crime and dirt and call on city parks to ensure there is security. Pilma Kubani reports. Ngepile Masite from the Alexandra June 16 Association has expressed disappointment, shame and hurt over the state of the Alexandra Cemetery. She was part of the graveyard cleaning campaign. She says the residents from the Straitline formal settlement have turned the area into their personal walkway and hangout. Several people can be seen walking around, making their way from the main entrance to the informal settlement through the broken down fence. Sunken graves and broken tombstones are visible while the stench of sewage lingers in the air. Resident Rafila Peterser from the Alexandra Creative Council says there are stories and rich history attached to most of the graves and this lawlessness cannot be allowed to continue. The cemetery is a monument and a place that holds so much wealth and stories of of its society, of its community, and and the cemetery and the graveyard must be given back its dignity, as also in respect of the ones who have fallen and the ones that are still alive. King Pungani, the king of the Amasubi, who also runs the Embo Kingdom through the royal house, says his mother's tombstone was vandalized. I was told that my mother's tombstone was broken as we were fixing the 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 tombstone we discovered that there are people who are living in that cemetery they've got their mattresses blankets and everything we saw people who were taking stones from uh, graves rebuilding their houses or building their houses i don't know but these are people who are from the surroundings from the shacks king pongani says those graves should not be trampled on as legends are buried there and traditionally should always be respected. They are walking on top of the graves and then there is no security, there's no patrol of the security. We've got the legions like uh, Zexinkosi, we've got, uh, you know, the cream de la cream of Alexandra buried in those graves. To us, it is a site that is heritage. Uh, traditionally, they are trembling on our, our, our customs. They are destroying our traditions. 
Lucky Mabona, chairperson of the Alexandra Heritage Council, says he is saddened by the state of the graveyard, as the cemetery plays an important role in the heritage of the township. Can we kindly have the hero's ache? Because we have heroes and heroines of Alexander who are buried there. The likes of um, Vincent Chabalala, whom London Road is named after. It's the likes of Babu Zeksingosi, who was a world icon in terms of jazz. We have people who are brutally making sure that they are destroying the history of Alex in making uh, ambushing the tombstones of those who played an important role in the dispensation of our country. And we, we foresee a problem that in five years time to come, we won't be having a graveyard because now people are starting to build in the graves of those who, who need to be honored. The MEC of Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs, Lebhang Maile, has called on the city of Johannesburg to act and prevent further damage. We would want to call on the mayor and the city of Johannesburg to act uh, decisively and work with the communities uh, in making sure that we preserve um, the place where our people are buried and also the heritage uh, sites. Uh, These are important uh, uh, symbols of um, our communities and we would also urge members of the communities uh, in Alex to be vigilant, to be alert and to work with the police. City Park says the fence has been repaired several times recently and is appealing to communities to take care of the infrastructure and refrain from illegal dumping, vandalism and vagrancy. They say that although there is security, it is not to patrol but for access control and that this is something that is not only happening in the city of Joburg but countrywide. Pulmogban, Johannesburg. It's 7.45 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Our economics update up next with Tabiso Mohoko. Good morning. South Africa's Public Enterprises Minister Pravin Godon says a restructured SAA will not be dependent on the national fiscus as this will be structured according to the telecommunications services telecom model. He was taking part in a debate in the National Assembly Thursday about the financial burden of sustaining non-profitable state-owned entities. Some opposition parties have criticized the multi-million US dollar bailouts or guarantees given to some of the financially struggling entities. Godon reiterated that the latest allocation to the national carrier during last week's medium-term budget policy statement is not a bailout. He says it will be for retrenchments, voluntary severance packages and to refund customers who bought tickets but couldn't fly. So we are going to restructure SAA. There will be a new airline that emerges, which will not be dependent on the fiscus, and that will indeed follow the telecom model that we have all made reference to. 
SOEs in general, as I conclude, Chairperson, will be repurposed and redirected and reorganized in order to be a, an exemplary set of institutions. But this will take time. It will take hard work. We will have to undo the damage of state capture. Namibia's estate-owned Namib Desert Diamonds has publicly called for new buyers of their precious stones to be part of their clientele for 2021 to 2023. This estate-owned company has in the past been accused of secretly selling diamonds with billions of dollars cheaply to Middle Eastern companies. However, since 2018, they've become more open about their clientele as they now place adverts in the media calling on potential buyers. According to a report by Shippers Council of Eastern Africa, the COVID-19 pandemic has significantly cut off supply chains, hampering trade in East and South African countries. This may be a result of the lockdown of international airspace by regional countries. Others, like Kenya, went ahead to lock inter-county land movements. Eswatini has launched a national skills audit aimed at providing a situational analysis of the country's industrial development, economic direction and skills development system. The audit will further establish appropriateness of skills placement and reasons in cases of mismatch and also give pointers to skills productivity. The study to be conducted by the Eswatini Economic Policy Analysis and Research Centre was launched by the Minister of Labour and Social Security, Marco Sivilagati. Simplify, a UK-based fintech company, has announced a finalisation of a partnership with the United Nations Capital Development Fund, the United Nations agency charged with making public and private finance work for the poor in least developed countries. The UNCDF partnership will expand and simplifies digital financial solutions to migrants and their families in Africa. Co-founder of Simplify, Maurice Iwunzi. Yeah, um, so the driving force behind the partnership is that, you know, the, the UN was looking for ways to, um, to strengthen the economic resilience of uh, migrant families, of migrants and their families in their home country, especially during this uh, critical um, challenges were happening around COVID and the economic impacts of it. The U.S. dollar is trading at 382.75 Nigerian Nara, 11.30 Botswana Pula, 107.78 Kenyan Shilling and 20.60 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, one U.S. dollar costs in Brazil, 5 rule 60 Russia, 78 rubles 52 India, 74 rupees 42 China, 6 yuan 62 and in South Africa a dollar is trading at 15 rand 81. The US dollar is also trading at 76 pence to the British pound and 84 cents to euro. A look at commodities markets now. Gold is trading at $1,908 and platinum at $8,71 per ounce while Brent crude oil is at $40.77 a barrel. It's Channel Africa. Thank you, Tabiso. Our sports update up next with Figile Lingwati.
and we begin with football news host South Africa take on Eswatini in their second match of the ongoing Kosafa Women's Championship today. The match takes place at Wolfson Stadium in the Eastern Cape Province at 15.30 Central African time. Both teams come into the encounter having won their opening matches against Angola and Comoros respectively. Coach Desri Ellis is looking forward to the encounter. Well, um, you know, uh, we had a reasonably good start um, against Angola. Um, and now we're on to the next match, which is Eswatini, and they had a very good come-from-behind win against Comoros. Um, they've shown that they have staying power. Um, they've also shown with the long-distance shooting that they can be a threat. Well, uh, you know, we just have to once again be on top of our game. As we said, we're taking it game by game, be on top of our game and make sure that we execute our plans really well. And if we execute our plans really well, you know, then uh, we should get a positive result. But once more, it's another opportunity to improve as a team. Angola will be looking to get a positive result when they face Comoros in their second match today at 12.30 Central African time, also at Wolfson Stadium. Coach Souza Francisco Garcia speaks on their expectations against Comoros. Our expectation for, for the next match is to win. Uh, we really we, we really have, have this, this notion that we must win because if we want to to go to the next level, we we win, we need to, to, to win the, the next two matches. So for the next match, we're gonna try to start very aggressive. Uh, we, we we're gonna try to 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 attack as much as we can. So in order to to get the the, the better result. In the girls' under-17 championship, Zambia takes on Tanzania at 12:30 Central African time. Zimbabwe face South Africa at 15.30 Central African time. Both matches take place at Westbourne Oval. And on to rugby news, the South African rugby has announced Castle Lager as the official titles partner of the British and the Irish Lions Tour of South Africa next year. The Lions series kicks off on the 3rd of July 2021 and we'll see the visitors play at some of the country's iconic venues like FNB Stadium in Soweto. The second test follows on the 31st of July at the Cape Town Stadium before the Tories return to Houding for the final test at Ellis Park on the 7th of August. South African Rugby President Mark Alexander says they are delighted with the turn of events and would like to see fans gracing the occasion. We will have to make the calls and because we want full stadiums. We sold out stadiums already, so we want the stadiums to happen. We want people to be in the stadiums. That's what rugby is all about. And we want all these uh, guys in red here in the stadium to, to, to come to, to our country and spend their pounds. The Proteas will host the Malawi Queens for their third and a three-test international netball series in Rustenburg at the end of this month. England and New Zealand were the first international team to return to the netball court when they faced off in Hamilton, and now it seems the African powers will be joining them. The African contingent impressed at the 2019 World Cup in Liverpool, with the Proteas making the semi-finals for the second time in history. Proteas head coach Dorette Badenhorst has called on provisional squad of 30 players to gather for a training camp ahead of the internationals. The coach has taken in recently completed Telecom Netball League and called up a few overseas base players as well. The 30 women will take part in a three-day training camp from the 22nd of November at Sun City before a final group of 15 players in, is confirmed to take on Malawi. 
Finally, tennis news. Rafael Nadal battled past Australian Jordan Thompson in straight sets to reach the Paris Masters quarterfinals on Thursday as Diego Schwarzman moved within one win of securing an ATP Tour Finals debut. Nadal, who claimed his 1,000th career victory by beating Feliciano Lopez on Wednesday, is bidding for the first Paris indoors triumph, which would draw him level with Novak Djokovic on a record 36 Masters title. That's your sport news this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today and for the week. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Luanda Maume, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.co.za, WhatsApp on plus 277-6300327 or tweet us at Channel Africa 1. And taking us to the top of the hour for the news is Inclusio by slogan featuring Nombila and uh, Last Number. Take care and keep safe. As we